Whenever you're ready. And should I look there or anywhere? In situ. In situ. Yeah, it's uh, in situ. In situ. In situ. In situ. That is so good. In situ. In situ. In situ. In situ. Okay, so in situ. In situ is the name of the European platform for artistic creation in public space. Led by Lieu Public, we are based in Marseille, France. And in this podcast, you will hear the voices of our members who live and work all across Europe. Nature, social justice, cultural identity, digital spaces, communities, regeneration of places. Each episode will bring a specific topic of conversation between three of our members. A partner, an associate artist and an associate citizen. Uncommon Spaces is the name of our current project, and we welcome you to the Institute podcast. In this episode, we will discuss around the topic of digital spaces. Marc L. Samrani is the associate citizen from Le Public in Marseille, France. Fanny Nanet is our partner in this episode. She is the founder of Artopolis Association and the director of Platz Festival in Budapest, Hungary. And Matt Adams from Blast Theory is the associate artist of Norfolk and Norwich Festival in the UK. This conversation was recorded remotely from behind our computers. So we asked all participants to start with a presentation of themselves, starting with our artist, Matt Adams. Um, my name is Matt Adams. I'm an artist. I'm part of a group called Blast Theory. I collaborate with Juro Farr and Nick Tandavanich. And um, we've been making interactive projects um, for around 30 years. And um, a big part of that is thinking about how digital media might change Um, how art is made and where it is made and how we might engage the public, how we might think about public space. So I'm uh, Michael Samirani, I'm an architect and I'm currently working as a researcher in L'Atelier, which is a cultural structure that accompanies artistic projects in public spaces, which is based uh, in uh, next to Montpellier. And we actually work with projects that either uh, work in public space or that tackles the subject of public space. Uh, and my research is based uh, on cultural and digital mediation in public space. I'm actually uh, trying to observe how artistic or and digital projects can create new form of public spaces in the city. My name is Fanny Nana and I'm the artistic director of Platz Festival, which is a festival uh, of uh, site-specific art and art in public space happening in Budapest since 2008. And... Um, As a fun fact, I have to mention that in our very first edition in 2008, one of the uh, projects which we invited was actually the writer spoke from Blast Theory. Uh, still, it was a very, very small edition of three projects, and one of them was uh, Blast Theory and uh, a project in digital and physical uh, space at the same time. Rider Spoke is um, a work we made in 2007 and we are still showing it um, to this day, um, most recently in May of this year. Um, it's a work in which uh, we invite the public to cycle through the city and um, answer questions 
that are um, posed to them by a, a mobile device that they have on their handlebars. And it's, um, it's really an exploration of um, the kind of social and personal histories of the city and um, an exploration of how we might think about the digital realm as a public space that has a geography that maps onto the city, um, thinking about um, how, how we invite people to be co-authors in a work. Um, you, you spend most of your time in that work listening to other people's answers and responses. So in a way, it is a, it's a dialogue between members of the public rather than between us as artists and members of the public. All the work that we make is interactive. And I'm interested in interactivity because I think it is um, a point of openness and porousness in artistic creation. Um, Brian Eno describes interactive work as unfinished. And for me, that is um, a, a classic insight into the fact that interactive work is open to the public and that the public complete the work. So there is a sense in which the work is made in partnership in some ways. I'm interested in interactivity because I think it opens up to a moment of social or political change, um, certainly to personal change, because by inviting the public to have a voice and to have agency within the work that we create, it puts you in a position of being onto the front foot and thinking about how you find your position, how you find your voice within the work that we make. And to me, that has the potential to be radically transformative. My background is in theatre. That's, that's where I come from. That's my first passion. And so I'm always interested in the performativity of the works that we make and of the way in which digital is mapped onto physical space. So um, this hybrid space, um, what we might call mixed reality, where the virtual is overlaid onto the physical space, has been a constant thread in the work that we've made together, in particular um, in a series of projects we've made in collaboration with the Mixed Reality Lab at the University of Nottingham. So working with scientists and researchers has been a big part of that practice. The main problem lies in the way I think we conceive uh, or think of that digital sphere. So we don't really think of it as a real space. So there's this uh, opposition, opposition between virtual and reality. And what's interesting to see today in modern research, it's uh, that it's really tackling that digital sphere as a real space where bodies can interact, move, where you can have bodily and physical experiences. So uh, that virtual space should not be considered only as technical construction, but as an architectural and artistic construction as well. Uh, and I think there's something really interrelated between the physical and the digital sphere. What really interests me as a programmer, a creator, is actually the same what Matt just already mentioned, is that how the digital uh, and the physical space can meet and how it can be two layers, which sometimes very close, very sometimes very far from each other and um, how it can uh, provoke like, like thinking uh, about our physical reality. So how if we just put another layer of the digital uh, space onto the physical space, how it makes people think about the actual uh, physical reality. And um, the openness, so the, the open format, uh, it's also a very important uh, point as a, as a programmer how to give the agency, the uh, 
not the ownership, but rather the agency to to the uh, visitors because we couldn't uh, call them audience anymore, I guess. So it's also a big question, how do we call them? In 2019, we made a piece of work in Philadelphia um, called Spit Spreads Death. And it was a commission from the Mutter Museum, a museum of medical history, to make a piece of work um, that responded to um, the flu pandemic of 1918 and 1919. Um, we had previously been artists in residence at the World Health Organization in Geneva, um, based in the epidemic um, health um, team there. And um, we um, were, were looking at how pandemics had been forgotten yeah, in 2018 and 2019, that seemed to be something that you could say. Um, uh, the work that we made in Philadelphia was a parade on the 28th of September 2019 um, that followed the exact route through Philadelphia that a previous parade had followed in 1918 on the 28th of September in which um, a super spreading event had taken place. 200,000 people came onto the streets of Philadelphia in 1918 at exactly the wrong moment. And Philadelphia became the worst hit city in the United States for the flu pandemic. And so we used um, a digital platform in that instance as a way of trying to connect members of the public with the forgotten people who had died in 1918. We worked with an epidemiologist to collect 20,000 death certificates from 1918 of people who had died from flu and put them into a database. And then we chose one day, the worst day um, for mortality in 1918, and loaded the biographies of all 832 people who died that day into a system and then allowed the members of the public in the modern day to go and choose one of those people to honour and to commemorate. And so we built a mobile app that meant you could choose by the name of the person, you could choose by the street that that person lived on, or you could choose by based on their profession. And once you made that choice, no one else could choose that person. And then when you came onto the parade, we gave you a sign with that person's name and on the back of it, their actual death certificate. So um, it's a, a, a way of, um, of synthesizing a historical event an event that is quite distant in time to a contemporary audience and to try and give them a language whereby they can make a connection between themselves and one person who died in 1918. And um, yeah, the parade was then, then had choreographic elements in which one at a time, each member of the public could honor the person who died. We had a project in 2013 in a post-industrial area when we work a lot. There is in the south of Budapest, there is this post-industrial area. We have some community projects there, but also uh, we dedicated the full edition of our festival to this post-industrial area. And that was the time when we started working with, um, with the local community. And actually it's a performative book uh, by help of an app. Uh, it was created by a Dutch-Hungarian uh, collective, it's called Space. And um, they worked a lot with the history of this industrial, post-industrial area, uh, very personal stories, but also the factual uh, history. And they put it together with uh, a fiction or a manipulative uh, future. 
so it was uh, yeah it was uh, like a timeline from um, the golden age of this industrial area to the to the future and um, it's still there so you can download it you can download it from pocket guide and you still can evoke this uh, performative book uh, created by a theater artist uh, 10 years it's, it's already 10 years that is there so our audience i think it's like i don't know exactly how many people saw the the piece but uh, it's just multiplying and multiplying and we could never reach this number of audience within one edition because of our limited um, financial means to, to promote that it's a gps triggered uh, walk which means that when you arrive to a certain point then a certain part of the story starts so it's absolutely size specific so I think it's a very important thing uh, how the artist can write these stories, these projects into the location. And if I can mention another uh, example, it's a Hungarian collective, it's called Meat Lab. And they made a project which is called How to Disappear Completely. And we have uh, realized uh, four versions of this uh, theater project, which is again a GPS triggered uh, book. We did it in Budapest, then uh, Izmir in Turkey, in Cairo, and in Dresden. And it's a non-linear narrative. And I think it's also very interesting because a live piece, so a, theat a live theater piece, it's mostly they are linear narratives. But in this case, you just start from a certain point with an application, and then you can choose where to go. And then uh, depending on where, which street you are going, you have another stories. So I think it's very, very uh, interesting and very powerful and people really like it. And also it's a funny thing that the title is How to Disappear Completely. So even though if a building disappears or something disappears by time, it can be in the narrative because it just disappears. We did the first version in 2016 in Budapest and you can see that until now. By embedding uh, the digital sphere in the physical space, so by creating these hybrid spaces, it can really help the production of free and open public spaces with very rich interactions and diverse social dynamics, uh, not only with the people connected to this uh, dig digital sphere, but with all the people present in the physical space. And I think this is when we can really talk about public spaces. I think one of the main issues in architecture is that we call everything we create as a public space. So every open plaza, every open space could be considered as a public space in architecture. And there's something very political in the bad sense of political in, the, in, the, in the, that definition. Uh, so not everything we create in architecture is a public space. And I think artistic projects have the ability and the potential to create public spaces in, uh, in the urban spaces we create as architects. So I've interviewed a lot of artists that came to work uh, with or at Latulin uh, these last three years. And they all talk about projects that are written uh, à quatre mains. So I don't know if you can uh, translate it to English by saying written with four hands. Uh, but they actually talk about projects that are written by the artist, but also with the structure that hosts the project. So uh, there is a big mediation job done by the structure with and for the space, and specifically with the inhabitants of that space, to create an invitation for the project. And this is important so the people can accept that the project is kind of uh, using their space, 
uh, during a certain amount of time. So there's something very, uh, there's a very interesting bond in between the project done in situ, the structure that accompanies the project and the inhabitants that live in that space. The power of the digital sphere is that it can create uh, like a stronger connection, maybe a richer bond with the different actors uh, that could create as well a very strong narrative and very rich narrative. And uh, this can be actually put in parallel with the concept of transmedia storytelling, where we can consider actually the city as the main narrative construct and uh, where we can see how artistic and digital projects can bring new additions to that story that enhances the way we look or understand or even interact with the city and its public spaces. This is important to consider as well since the digital objects that have been introduced in the city can have the opposite effect creating like ghost participants. So when we walk in the urban space while connected to our cell phones, we're connected to our private sphere and not interacting anymore with the physical space. So we're kind of eliminating any possible interactions with the space itself and its other inhabitants. And what's interesting to see is how through interactivity, through this new narrative uh, layer brought by artistic projects, we can recreate that link between the different users and the space. It can actually create as well new storytelling practices in the space with inhabitants that can go beyond the project itself. So we've seen some projects that have lived in the physical space for two or three days, uh, but that live much longer in the digital sphere. So it's actually funny and intriguing to see how the digital sphere can appropriate or reappropriate a project happening in the physical space of the city. But I think that the reception is very lonely. I mean, usually it's, it's books which people just do on their own. And obviously they can connect to these uh, public spaces and also like I think that uh, these kinds of programs but not just uh, on any, any project which is in public space can rewrite your mental map which is also a very important thing that how you connect to the city and it can redefine your connection to, to, to your own city or to an unknown city. But, but I think that in this, this kind of digital projects, which are, I think of now, are the, the reception is quite a lonely process. I, th I think it really varies um, from platform to platform. <clears throat> um, I, I do agree that digital spaces can often be lonely spaces and um, the sociologist Sherry Turkle spotted this very early in her work in the 1990s doing interviews with people who were in social spaces online and finding lots of um, lots of loneliness and lots of alienation as well as other forms of, of empowerment but I think we also have to be careful around um, certain kind of prejudices around technology, sort of anti-technological practices. We don't really talk about people reading books as being lonely. You know, we assume that because they're on their own, they're actually in this rich imaginative world in dialogue with an author that is inherently ennobling. Of course, in the 19th century, the novel was considered a sort of a lowbrow and an unworthy form of media. And, um, uh, you know, it was considered only, only a sort of trashy kind of medium. So um, these things really can vary over time and um, there are undoubtedly some social spaces that are very tightly defined as social spaces where small numbers of people or even large numbers of people have a shared identity that is common to them um, that is um, uh, you know that is importantly social um, 
And, and in any case, the urban fabric is often lonely, right? If you stand in the centre of one of the busiest parts of, of Paris or London or, or, or Berlin or Budapest, it can be a very lonely experience as people flood past you. You know, the city is, is both a, a, a social place and a place of alienation. So um, I, th I think the reason it's important in technology is because we've been through a period of such rhetoric that all technology is inherently democratic, social, positive, connecting, global, outward looking, and that almost all of these are dangerous cliches driven by people who are um, either engineers or um, commercial um, leaders who have a strong motive to suggest that the internet is an unalloyed good. Um, and I suppose really what we've seen in the last five years in particular is a real sort of um, broader understanding um, in the West, at least, uh, that that is a much more complex picture and that, and that the idea, even the very term social media, is kind of suspect. It is a, a damaging suggestion. These are, in fact, um, uh, sort of data gathering machines and advertising platforms. Um, that is what they do. That is how they work. Um, so um, one of the reasons that I felt so strongly that as artists we should be working in this space is that we must contest these spaces. These are public spaces. And that if um, culture in Europe is to be immeasurably damaged, it's more likely to come from Google or from Twitter or from Facebook or from Apple than anywhere else. You know, large American multinationals have the ability to become cultural juggernauts in our space. And we all have an interest in spotting that, critiquing that, and also proposing our own models and our own alternative, uh, um, to propose an alternative ethos um, for what we're doing and, and why we're doing it. I think surveillance capitalism is the term that is widely used and is the most apposite term. It's limited in some ways and it doesn't, it, it, it hides some things that are important, but um, this uh, aggregation of data about people is, um, is, 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 is ubiquitous and is insidious and um, not that it has to be, you know, I think you can make, we have made work in which collecting data is, is part of the work, right? You can personalize projects, you can make projects that understand things. I mean, a GPS walk is in some way personalized because it's for you at this particular spot on the Earth's surface. Um, and you hear something or see something based on that exact position. That is a form of personalization. So I, I, I also think there is a tremendous potential um, for, for artistic work that uses data. Um, it's not to say that all data collection is bad. It's just um, that um, there is a lot of um, pretense about what exactly is going on. And um, it's, it's important that we, that we can um, articulate alternatives. So there is two French researchers who worked on this. So first, Frédéric Martel in his book Smart, who talks about the Internet as a territorial space. Uh, so uh, there is nothing more territorial than the Internet, actually. For example, connecting to a page in France, not the same as connecting to the same web page in China or Japan or in the United States. So Internet kind of have limits, like real physical limits to it. 
and uh, there's Olivier Aubert as well that talks about uh, an optic perspective in his book uh, An Opticon that are present in the digital sphere. So uh, there is some kind of negative dynamics happening in the physical space like uh, privatization, surveillance that we can grasp or understand more easily since we can see them. Uh, and even though these same dynamics are happening in the digital sphere, we can, uh, but since we cannot really see them, they are a bit more hard to understand. Uh, so he kind of introduces new perspective, uh, new perspectives that uh, that structures that uh, digital sphere to kind of understand its uh, its uh, dynamics. And I think artistic projects can create a deviation or kind of a derive. Uh, to uh, to stand against the monopoly of uh, of the appropriation of the digital sphere by the big internet companies, uh, so that that have their own agendas and that control the way we see and 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 use the internet. So I think artistic projects can transform digital tools into digital mediations uh, that can create that necessary link between the the space, the user, and the different users in that space. I, I was just going to add something there to what you were saying, Mark, about um, territorial qualities of the internet to, to also say that they are performative spaces. In the context of in situ, the in situ network, um, this is really important that um, these are spaces where we are given certain identities that we can occupy. We can, we can claim certain, certain identities. We can present ourselves in certain ways. Um, and um, these are not just spaces that sit neutrally. They are spaces that are occupied by people and activated by people and shaped over time by the social practices of the people who spend time there. You know, Twitter was not originally a toxic place. It was originally a place where a few thousand and a few tens of thousands of highly articulate, um, engaged people came to exchange information and ideas. It is only over time that it has become a, a corrupted space. So, um, yeah, in, in, in terms of those of us who work in, in theatre and performance and are interested in, in what performance means, um, the online space has a rich set of possibilities for us. There is an actual project based on, on Twitter and, and it's a, a British artist, um, Thor McIntyre uh, Burney, and he's a sound uh, artist. And he had a, a project back in um, 2013 uh, after the, the Arab Spring. So he gathered a Twitter, a tweets from the Twitter what the participants of the Arab Spring for the Tahrir Square sent, and. Uh, he made a soundscape of these tweets and he did a physical but very technical installation in public space. So the project called Speakers and he just hanged speakers from trees and these tweets, which was obviously edited and it has a dramaturgy, that you can hear these tweets spoken by actors. Something which has happened in the very physical space of Tahrir Square went up to the digitals or the internet or the online sphere uh, by the, the tweet, Twitter and he brought it back to the physical space. And then I invited him to, to Budapest to do a version with the uh, demonstrations because it, and it was in t 
2012, now I remember, 2012, because still in 2012 there was a lot of demonstrations in Budapest against the government. We, we still have, but it's more and more hopeless. It was really like Facebook groups who, who talked a lot about the, the demonstrations, so we wanted to make a version mm, of it, uh, but uh, I, I couldn't raise funds, surprisingly. But it was in 2012, so a long time ago, when, as Matt said, it wasn't a toxic phase. It's actually funny you talk about that because uh, I'm originally Lebanese and I've lived through the Lebanese revolution that started in 2019. Uh, and there was uh, uh, something very interesting to observe in between uh, the physical space and the digital space, the way they communicated permanently uh, during the whole thing, actually. Uh, so the revolution started first in the physicals in the digital spaces, so mainly through digital social media, and then moved to the physical space of the city. Uh, so by inhabiting different urban uh, urban spaces, mainly through artistic projects, uh, and it was actually proposing new ways to interact with the city, with the space, and with other inhabitants. So creating new communicational platforms in the city. And it was in permanent communication as well with the digital sphere. So uh, projects were massively shared online, uh, cr creating new activation of the city actually through this uh, digital representations. So uh, the digital alter, alter egos of the projects were actually helping the project be re reactivated permanently. So there was something very intricate in, uh, in that permanent communication between physical and digital spaces. Uh one of my favourite um, works that deals with that question is by um, a British artist called Heath Bunting. I think it was made in 1991. It's one of the very early um, net art projects. And um, at that time in the United Kingdom, all public telephones could receive calls as well as make outgoing calls. And Heath went and got all of the phone numbers of all the phone boxes in King's Cross Station. The work was called King's Cross X. He published them online and he invited anyone anywhere in the world to ring those numbers at a certain time and a certain day. And then he just watched what happened as around 35 phone boxes rang randomly over a, over a couple of hour period during a busy com um, commuting time at the, at the station. And it's, it's a beautifully sort of poetic and simple work where he could see immediately that the internet is embodied in space and that the connection between the geography of the city and the geography of the internet um, can be a powerful thing, that there's a question of, of, of kind of randomness and, and capriciousness about online space. Um, there's a kind of um, playful and provocative um, uh, um, joker kind of kind of quality to the work. And, um, you know, it's very simple in one sense and very profound in another. I think that what you can do in, in Hungary in terms of um, uh, anti-governmental art, or <laughs> to say it's, it doesn't really, I mean, like it can be digital or physical, but, but obviously if, if you are very much present in the physical space, it's easier because the, with the digital project, it's also, I mean, not a lot of people just don't have the access for that. Um, not because they don't have a smartphone, because I, I think that now nowadays everybody has smartphones, but then they don't have the access to the knowledge, that the infos that these projects um, exist. 
but if you just put a, a, an art in public space they can they can bump into it mm, there is a convention you go to a theater because you are a theater goer and uh, you know you know the convention that uh, what to do when you go to a theater and i think uh, there is something with the digital projects also that you have to you have to know you have to be a consumer of digital projects in order to, to consume them because otherwise you don't have the, the access for that. And, and obviously as a festival, one of our mission that just to mm, make it more and more accessible for, for an audience who very often we just hear this, that uh, somebody, somebody is saying that, no, art is not for me. I'm not educated enough for art. And then how to make it more accessible for them um, uh, through promotion, but also being in public space, it's a very important aspect of it. Yeah, I think it's important to remember that um, cultural experiences um, exist in a, a social space. They take up a certain part of our lives. So when we go to a gallery is different from when we go to a theatre or we go to the cinema or we open a web page and that those things exist in very particular places for very particular particular reasons so um you know um uh, uh you know in some ways they're they're places for us to go and spend time that fill a certain kind of gap in our lives and and online work digital work has exactly the same set of properties that we that we look in certain ways at certain times and it's why live streaming a piece of theater at, at 7 30 p.m in the evening for an hour and a half is generally quite an unsuccessful way of reaching a digital audience because most of us don't sit down at the internet at 7 30 in the evening for an hour and a half that is just not how we use the web and so um there are different audiences, but they have to be found in totally different ways. And I think um, it's, it's why so many experiments by people who have backgrounds in more traditional art forms in the digital realm are not successful in terms of reaching an audience because there is an assumption that there are eyeballs out there just waiting for something to be created and put in front of them. And that is, that's not, not the case. Um, in, in, and so for us, that's an ongoing challenge. How do you reach a digital audience? And sometimes we've done that through longevity, like we were talking earlier, Mark and, and Fanny mentioned about digital projects longevity. You know, we have a, an app in the App Store called Karen, and it's been there since 2015. And, um, you know, 26,000 people have downloaded it so far, and it's still going. However, it costs us about a thousand pounds a year just to keep it up to date. And so it's a significant investment for us to, to, to maintain that work. Um, the work we've made most recently that's sort of where we've thought again about this issue of attention online and how you find an audience online is called Cat Royale. And we made um, a, a, a physical installation, um, which is a utopia for three domestic cats to live in over a 12 day period um, with um, uh, carpeted walls, floors and ceilings. The entire space is curved. It has um, a water fountain and plants and dens and raised ledges and climbing areas and um, um, places for the cats to play. And in the center of the space is a robot arm controlled by an AI. And the robot arm every six minutes offers a game to the three cats and tries to learn which games the cats like best. Um, 
it's a work about um, about the incursion of AI and technology into our domestic lives, into our personal lives, and also about the possibilities for um, for AI and animal happiness and human happiness. Can these technologies make us happier? What would that look like? Do we want to trust our happiness to these forms of technology? But in the context of this discussion, it's also about thinking about how you find currency online as a way of communicating a piece of work. So for that work, we made a a three to five minute highlight film every day for 12 days. The filming took place over 12 days. So we made 12 short films, one a day, and released them online onto YouTube and onto Facebook. And um, we've reached, I don't know, it's maybe 75, 80,000 people so far that way. So um, by online standards, that's a small number. By the standards of um, art in public space, that's a big number. Um, and I'm not suggesting that there's some sort of equivalence um, based on these numbers, right? The, you, know, you know, it's it, it, we're talking about the level of experience, the quality of experience that people have, not just the numbers of people we get through the door. But for me as an artist, I'm interested in trying to find an artistic language that enables us to engage um, a wide public and invite people in towards our work. You know, for me, the acid test is I really want to reach a 15 or 16 or 17 year old who is just discovering the world for themselves, is just starting to get really curious about art and culture and what life is for and how they might fit into it. And they could stumble across a piece of our work and be taken into a, an experience that can be life changing for them. So we're, I'm always trying to think about what is the way, you know, and Fanny, you talked about it, you know, where art in public space is so great because people literally do bump into the work sometimes and they have a life changing experience or at least an experience that stays with them forever. And um, I'm interested in trying to do that in, in online spaces. It's much harder in some ways, but the potential rewards are even greater. Rosalie Gonzalez and Wafa Mesbawi have been coordinating this podcast. And Jeanne Robet has been editing it. This podcast is co-founded by the Creative Europe Programme of the European Union. Thank you for listening. We hope you have enjoyed this conversation.